HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Hearst Ranch, the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. For more information, visit HearstRanch.com. Broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Jonathan Radens, the man behind the scenes of visual merchandising in food. How's it going, Jonathan? Great. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Pleasure. Pleasure. Um, now you work for the National Restaurant Consultants, correct? Yeah, we're uh, based out of Denver, Colorado. I'm the lone East Coast guy uh, based right around Philadelphia, so... Excellent. But you're, you're a small-town farm boy. Grew up in upstate New York? Yeah, between Rochester and Buffalo, we had a 200-acre farm that uh, my father kept running for a while. And uh, as a young boy, we were picking vegetables and selling them by the side of the road. Yeah. So always involved in food. Were you, were you more on the farm? Were you cooking? Were you eating? Well, I, uh, I enjoyed cooking from a young age. One time... Uh, I was the young guy who was out along the, the side of our ditch picking the black raspberries and making a sauce for our ice cream. And one day my mom came home to find that I had made an elderberry pie when <laughs> I pulled out the Betty Crocker cookbook to her surprise. So yeah, that uh, yeah, I've I've always been involved in the food business in some way, I guess. Yeah, but n- not only with that intrigue, uh, you, you were an entrepreneur at a young age. Um, you know, in school. Uh, I guess you worked for a design company or design labels for a gourmet food company. Yeah, there was a, a small place that serviced uh, a lot of local wineries and specialty food stores in our area. And uh, I kind of got involved with uh, designing labels on, on the computer and uh, doing a little bit of custom illustration for the, the labels. And we uh, basically uh, created stuff for uh, a lot of different wineries and 
and uh, so yeah. the, the, these visual things. Uh, you, did you go to school for design? Did you uh, uh, go to school for illustration? How did these? things all kind of amalgamate well all as a young man i was involved in photography and uh graphic design in high school and it just became something i really fell in love with and combined it eventually with with the food business i you know had highest grades in all my art classes and and photography classes uh originally was going to go into graphic design and received a full tuition scholarship to go do that and just decided i couldn't sit in front of a computer designing graphics all day in and day out so uh, i ended up uh, on the basis of my art portfolio, uh, accepted to RIT and was going to enter the graphic design school there. And uh, just at the last minute, I decided to switch to marketing because I thought I could combine art with uh, you know actual marketing and products. And uh, ended up in the school of food there in this in a food marketing and distribution program. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a felicitous thing too because you worked on a fellow's farm uh, that happened to be involved with that school. It was. I was. I was recruited in an untraditional fashion. I. Uh, grew up uh, retailing in the open-air retail farmer's markets between Rochester and Buffalo with uh, uh, Dr. Francis Des Moines. And uh, it really had a, a strong influence under his tutelage, if you will, and uh, his influence in the food business and, and learning a lot of perspectives from him and how to market foods. And we had a lot of success in the markets. It was a lot of fun. So Yeah. So, I mean... How do you start uh, learning about marketing food? I mean, do you take examples like the classic, you know, Coke Pepsi wars? Do you do you look at some specific design thing, um, displays how how they are in the market? I think that from from a young age, I got to see hands on what the cause and effect was of a, of a good display versus a bad display. Uh, we would set product and markets, and at the end of the day, being so intimately involved in the process, we could take a look at the cash box and see whether it worked or not. Yeah. So we were constantly testing new ideas, uh, purchasing different containers and baskets, and and uh, building signage from you know hand drawn signs. While all my other friends were off drinking in college, <laughs> I was staying up late hand painting signs for a market the next morning at five o'clock when we'd load the truck. So Yeah, but you probably helped sell a whole bunch more beer than they ever did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably over time. So So like specs for standard, you know, marketing displays. I'm sure you know all the depth and height and how the you know, you walk into a store and you see some kind of new display for a candy bar. You you know exactly what that is. Some some of it's technical and some of it's just simply uh, what fits for that store. I think what, what we what we try to present in many ways is really the angle and the the impact of the visual that the customer can see. Um, you know, I mean, everyone knows that retail is detail and eye to thigh and all of those things as far as getting the the right products in front of eye to thigh. What is that? Eye to thigh means that's where you're going to put your your impactful, profitable items that are going to drive impulse sales. Yeah. And you're going to position them in those uh, areas where someone's arm could reach really easily and where they can see them well. See, you may, don't make the assumptions. You, because, I, you know, the, these quips and phrases happen within the marketing thing. And I think we take it for granted walking to a store that, you know, it's in that wheelhouse between, <laughs> you know, my, my, my lower and upper uh, uh, body. Well, if anyone's worked with us, it's... Uh, <laughs> It's intentional. Yeah. The, the items that are there for, for you to grab are, in, in many cases, um, very much positioned there for the success of, of the, you know, the bank account. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, do you remember growing up, going into stores, those things that you wrotely grabbed for and didn't realize that they were in that uh, you know, area of sight? No, mostly what I remember is while my mom was taking forever in the grocery store fixing the, the boxes and cans on the shelves and lining yeah. them up nice and straight. And maybe I'm a little anal, but I guess from a young age I was doing that as well. So Yeah, yeah. So in RIT, what were some of the first projects you worked on? Oh, interesting. We... Uh, we had a product development class that I, I found rather interesting with a, with a, a woman named Dr. Whitlock, and uh, one of the things that I'd, I'd been given a an idea to do some uh, specialty cut vegetables, and so we actually took some small aspic cutters, which is like Jello, if you will, and we uh, we cut some very interesting shapes out of. Uh, out of the food so i made radishes that were in the shape of a small half moon and stars out of carrots and uh we came up with this little package and we did a test product uh to a large group of people and had them you know rate their interest in it and what they would expect to pay and so we kind of developed a product that marketed itself in a way because it's really interesting and it took your everyday regular carrot and made it look like something fun so yeah so uh, let's use case studies or examples that are on the market right now. I, I remember when I, I was a kid, uh, what were they called? Dunkaroos. Mm-hmm. They, they were these like kangaroo-looking cracker things that you dunked in a chocolate sauce. There were a ton of other cookies uh, on the market or, you know, snack packs on the market that had the same exact, you know, uh, uh, foods and, you know, flavor profiles in them. What makes something like that more successful than others? One of, one of the things that, that we try to focus on, and I think... Uh, uh, many of the the retailers that are doing well re- right now as well and manufacturers are creating products that have an experiential element to them uh you know dunkaroos were had some action if you will yeah i'm y- just you happy that i got to reference dunkaroos on uh, here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to you got to you know open the package you got to dunk them in there it was it was an experience it wasn't just a commodity and uh that's one thing that we try to create you know from a manufacturer's point of view but also from a retailer's point of view as well you know i think everyone's in tune with uh you know the wood fired oven the the flambe the 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 action and excitement that we try to create and i think a lot of retailers now are bringing out some of that exciting food production you know i think when someone sees uh someone using a knife really well it's fun and it's exciting, and in many cases, retailers have been hiding that behind the counter or back in the cold room. And so you're seeing a lot of retailers these days bringing those things out onto the floor uh, to use that hidden element to their advantage. Yeah, and also kind of like personalizing the process. Um, you know, if you're transparent, uh, what we were talking about before, you're educating your customer. and. You know, an educated customer is a happier customer. Absolutely. Uh, I think when when we hide the production, sometimes people become skeptical of where and what's happened to this product. Yeah. <laughs> where is it coming from? <laughs> yeah. Is it even being made here? <laughs> is it even being made of anything real? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, what products on the market right now are, you know, the biggest hits, are, are the ones that everyone's ooing and eyeing about? Ah. <sighs> Well, the things the things that I'm ooing and eyeing about <laughs> are real products, not not necessarily even processed products right now. I think one of the things that that we've been focusing on is is bringing uh, the ingredients from a product or a an, a menu entree or something to the forefront of the visual, 
And so we've we've been trying to communicate the elements of the dish or the entree visually to our client. And we've been doing that a lot with imagery and graphics. Uh, we, we do most of our work with, with real products um, and less with manufactured or processed products. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you work with a lot of ski resorts. You just flew in from Tahoe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that part of the country, as most, are on the farm-to-table kick. Um, and, you know, that itself is presenting real products that weren't necessarily seen until the final product before. Um, how are you reinventing something like a ski lodge or, you know, those, uh, and you'll have to define this for me, scrambles, uh, places where people come, there's a salad bar, there's X amount of, you know, food stalls. Yeah, we, we've actually been using some of the highest uh, quality uh, fake foods to communicate it. But a, a scramble, to take a step back, is uh, it's just an open area that, that many people might call a food court. But I always hated that term because it's something someone thinks of when they go to the you know the local mall. Yeah, and it's a, usually in the basement. Yeah, it's yeah. a little creepy. It looks like it's been you know cleaned with a, an old rag or something yeah. and smells kind of funny. But this is a... Uh, this is a you know a nice lodge type environment where there's a lot of different stations and and uh, it's it's something where we can create uh, unique identities in each station. So for instance, there might be a wood fired pizza area, uh, an Asian cookery, and so we're trying to create an, an ambience around each uh, distinct station. And, and some of the ways that we're doing that um, is through uh, imagery, creative props. Uh, a lot of it's in the technical uh, positioning of the product with with the containers that we use that play into the theme and then the way we actually set the product, the retail products, for instance, um, on uh, or in the containers or the way we present something in plating, just like a, a chef would on a plate. Yeah. So, I mean, it is all the logistical things that a restaurant will go through, but, you know, uh, in display. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're, um, we're able to significantly uh, increase... Uh, our clients' ability to to drive revenues and and to create impulse purchases because we're really making sure that the customer has the best possible visual of what, whether it be a prepared entree or whether it be a retail food product or a grab and go item that they can receive. So we're putting it there for them to be accessible. And many times, I think guests really desire to have uh, something else, but they just can't see that it's there. Yeah. So we're just helping that it be accomplished. So yeah. So they read chicken salad and they know that's a safety and they just choose chicken salad but if they had seen chicken interpreted a different way yeah and one of the things one of the things that i think you make a good point there because one thing that's involved in in high volume restaurants like this is uh the guest flow through the through the facility and being able to to withstand a high volume of guests in a, in a very short period of time because it's like you know lunch hits and there's a you know thousands of people ready to eat and one of the quick ways to be able to communicate chicken salad is 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 imagery and one of the things we found is that most retailers have you know what i'd like to call 80s imagery it it looks awful (laughs) it's just that you know cornucopia of vegetables that looks like you'd never want to eat them and so uh you know this is where your role comes into play michael is is uh high quality food imagery can really sell products one of the things we're also doing is adding the human element uh, humans connect with humans, and when we can see, you know, not the gross picture of someone shoving pizza in their mouth, but yeah. in a tasteful way, 
adding that human element to a high quality image of, of pizza that looks like a pizza you'd want to eat is really effective in driving opportunities for retailers. So it's not this singular kind of static thing just on a you know glossy right. backdrop that right like an apple yeah right and and that's and that's where I think it, also including those you're talking about that farm element I mean some of the some of the um, resorts like for instance you know someone we're talking to right now is Aspen who has a very strong focus on locally sourced products and, and farm to table related things. There, um, one way a, a company like that could use this is to incorporate a picture of an apple next to a picture of an apple pie. You yeah. know, just incorporating the elements so that it, the customer in the mind can guess, the guest can connect that to the you know the inputs, yeah. if you will. So you're you're just doing like a a game of memory in a sense, yeah, yeah, just yeah. Re- relating some kind of image to some kind of product, right? And I, I think that's it's is very important. Is, is most of the photography uh, or imagery that I see currently being used, um, where it's not intentional, is very very uh, mediocre. Yeah, and we find that there's a lot of opportunity for retailers to benefit from using some improved visuals. Cool. Well, we're going to take a quick break, come back, talk about all the exciting containers, props, lighting, positioning, strategy behind merchandising, especially in that eye to thigh area. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll be right back. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Jonathan Radens of National Restaurant Consultants. Now, we were talking about profitability, and uh, I think you gave me a line before. Um, here, let me try to find this because it was fantastic. I can't even read my own writing sometimes. Profitability through the visual, dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we, we uh, very specifically help our clients improve profitability. And we, 
through the all the different strategies that we use, we've had some uh, some good success, and in many cases, overnight we've been able to increase you know revenues in in uh, restaurants that have retail or food service grab and go type of items by four to fourteen percent in some cases, and uh, you know we've seen we've seen strategies from that, and we've seen season over season with some direct farm marketers that we work with that have increased revenues by seventy eight percent. Yeah, just by implementing some promotions and visual merchandising and, and better customer service. So we're, we're just really trying to coach people on, on ways to improve their, their presentation with their eyes and with their mouths to their, to their guests. So. so you spent some time at Wegmans and any upstate New Yorker. I did. Knows Wegmans. Uh, yeah. Based in Rochester. So what was your job there? I was in a in a management program with with Wegmans that focused on merchandising in the fresh produce uh, business, and I, I had the opportunity to work underneath a, a good friend of mine now, Eric Voigt, and uh, I would say that he he was one of the the strongest merchandisers I've ever met, and and really taught me to look at merchandising very technically with a strong eye to. Uh, to kind of pick it apart and make sure things were at the right angle and, and all of the, the tips and techniques and angles and strategies to really drive sales through the way things look. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's been a very influential in my life. So, I mean, what, what are some of the things that you were initially taught by Eric? I mean, is there an like, angle no zone? Like, you, you don't want to be showing something from a 90 degree. Yeah, you don't want things falling off the table. <laughs> uh, you know, one thing that we kind of pass along to some of our, our clients, I guess I'll give you one free little tip here, yeah. but when we look at, at displays, we use what's, you know, they say it's the 80-20 rule in life, you know, 80% of your uh, productivity comes from 20% of your, you know, your the things that you do, if you will. And so we find the same thing works in, in displays. We try to keep product at least 80 percent in a display and 20 percent fixturing and there's so many um package shelving units and and display units that have large gapping between the product where you can literally see right through it yeah and depending on what you have behind that it could become a very much an optical illusion to your eye so you can't really focus and so what we do is uh we try to make sure that our all of our our displays wherever possible have 80% product showing and 20% fixturing, if yeah. you will. That's one little tip that we use. Yeah, so I mean, you also mentioned you know, that optical illusion that could happen with depth. So do you try to keep everything on a single plane? Um, not, not always necessarily. We, we, we try to somewhat. I mean, there's some stepping involved with things. It, it needs to be done in the right way, and a lot of it's really just one-offs. You know, we're really looking at the look that you're going for. I think everyone knows that there's a very different look between uh, a Whole Foods produce department and a Wegmans produce department. Wegmans uses many more angles and Whole Foods is using more flat surfaces to put their product on and then stacking upward. Yeah. Um, You know, Wegmans is going to be showing three to four times as much produce on the same display because of the angle. Um, You know, both are successful, but they both appeal to different people as well. And so, you know, some people don't like the mass of, of say a Wegmans department and a Whole Foods department might be a quarter of the size. Yeah. So it all depends. When we when you talk about optical <coughs> illusions, um, really many times people are, are placing a display in front of something that's very distracting. And so a lot of times we're using um, specialty techniques to make just a flat black or a white background or, or something to just let the eye focus on the product because we you know for all of us foodies out there. 
we want to see the product. We don't want to see all the other stuff behind it necessarily. Yeah, and it's funny with so many food companies, uh, um, you know, put so much into their packaging for that to then get cluttered when you put a whole bunch of packaging together. You know, uh, yeah. it's usually thought of as a singular thing. You go and you buy a candy bar, <clears throat> but you're not going to buy, you know, a thousand candy bars. And that, that can get cluttered. It can get very cluttered. And actually, I was just writing a standard operating procedure for a, a general store, <laughs> a, a small little retail. It's kind of a little gourmet food store. And one of the things I put in there was just removing all clutter. Because, you know, something as simple as for a, a small retail shop, leaving the door to the back room open where the back offices can be really distracting. Yeah. You know, where there's a bunch of junk on their desk and piled up stuff near the sink where they wash their hands or something like that. And it's it's really the little details that can uh, help a retailer or a restaurant excel. So when you walk into like a, you know, rest stop 7-Eleven or when you go to the airport, what do you see that just makes you incensed? What, what makes you crazy about how they're putting stuff together? Uh, I think that... One of the worst things I see are manufacturers that use prepackaged display units and and then make them available to the you know concessionaires. It's funny you mention that because we're actually doing a, a webinar on the next couple of weeks for the National Association of Concessionaires, which includes a lot of uh, concessionaires in, in uh, airports. Yeah, and uh, we just we actually uh, just quoted a project for Wolfgang Puck in a in a in an airport, and uh, we just actually spent some time in the uh the newark airport reviewing some operations there and i'll be honest some of these small convenience retailers are doing it better than the large ones yeah a convenience store a small little shop like that a small concessionaire shop in some cases they only have just a small you know 10 foot wall with uh grab and go candy or or uh packaged food items on it they're doing a better job i think in many cases because they've only got they've got the limitations so they make it work every surface in a convenience store in most cases is covered with product so i think you know i just i was in the last week i was in newark airport i was in phoenix airport i was in reno airport and i actually was very impressed with what i saw interesting yeah i mean food is improving in those airports and um I don't know. It's, I've always thought of the display to kind of be this benign, almost asinine thing. But I'm seeing more and more people actually spending time at airports, even going early to eat at concessions. Yeah, one of the biggest trends in airport concessionaires these days is, is including the local element. I mean, they're bringing in, like in Philadelphia, for instance, a local restaurant called Chickies and Pete's. And they're bringing in those local signature landmark restaurants into the, the airport concessions. So it kind of gives it a look and feel of the local community. Yeah. I mean, you must look at other stores, though, too, and see how they interact with customers. Um, are there stores that have displays, be it a clothing store, be it a, you know, you know, music? Uh, well, I don't know if record stores actually exist anymore. But are there other kind of displays that you look at to incorporate food merchandising into? Well, one of, one of my favorite retailers is Anthropology. I mentioned and. uh well, one of their interesting concepts is called Terrain, and it's uh, south of Philadelphia. And they're adding, uh, they're very much an inspiration to me. I love the look and feel uh, and style that they have. They've got food elements in the, in the concept. It's kind of a greenhouse with a restaurant and all sorts of retail products in there. I mean, they're, they're a trendsetter, I think. Um, trying to think of anything else comes to mind. Well, I mean, here in Brooklyn, there's a thing called Smorgasburg that happens. Uh, Brooklyn Fleet puts it on. And 
tons of food vendors and all they have are like little tents okay um and there's like 60 to 80 uh vendors there selling anything from i don't know fried anchovies to mayonnaise um how do you define yourself in a small space you were talking about convenience stores using the most but i mean what are the biggest best visual you know uh, implements that the company should put forth well i think my experience in the direct farm markets i grew up in them between rochester and buffalo for 15 years and and the we still to this day have guests at those markets asking where i am because of the displays that we set up one of the biggest challenges i think people in these environments are are need to overcome is that they set up their table at the edge of their tent so they're not inviting guests into their environment and what we did is actually pulled our table in halfway and then created a massive wall of product i mean most farmers are looking to pull one basket of corn out at a time or, you know, for any product for this instance. We pulled out every single ear that we had, and we made a pile 10 foot long and about 4 foot high, and there was no miss in our display. Yeah. And we did that out in front, and then we almost created a wall with two open spaces uh, that guests could come enter our environment that we created. And we stacked product as high as we could get it on the tables. Um but so many of these vendors just simply have, you know, a flat plane, a surface, a table, and they're setting one layer of product across it. And if you consider someone who's 10 feet, 100 feet away, it may look like there's one inch of product on that table. They may not even be communicating what they have to offer. You know, whether or not they have a sign, I don't know. But really, we're looking at what is the visual impact of the food that someone can see and what's in the way of that food. You yeah. know, whether it's other tents, whether it's <laughs> the packaging you're setting it in. Sometimes the very packaging you might be setting it in is more distracting than it's working against their ability to sell the food because it's got red and white checkers on it or, you know, that optical illusion. Yeah. So many places put the red and white or blue and white checkered tablecloths and it's like you might as well set them in front your food on a crossword puzzle. Huh. Your eyes are just, you know, yeah, going crazy trying to see what you're trying to sell. I mean, so let's talk about displays again because walking into a convenience store... Um, there are so many products on the same display vying for your, you know, for for your eye. Um, how do they differentiate each other? One of the strategies that that I try to use, it, it, you know, that's something that many people do. One of the biggest things that I do when I go into a facility is to try to put like products next to each other: bottles next to bottles, cans next to cans, product, pa- plastic package product next to plastic package product. If you go into Wegmans, for instance, they're they're in many cases, unless there's a business demand, they're going to be trying to put fresh product forward and front facing the client first and bagged product or plastic products on the back. So we're going to put like products next to like products and products that shine and don't have packaging in the way, if you will, like a bag, getting in the way of the fruit that's inside of it. We're not going to be putting that up front and forward. Yeah, so like literally separating, well, a pallet for pallet. Yeah, and, and like I said, putting those similar products next to each other lets your eye focus a little bit better. It lets them adjust. If you're looking at a can and then a bottle and then a can and then a bottle and at different heights, it's very confusing to your eye. Um, so that's that's kind of a, one of the key things that I'll do when I go in somewhere to evaluate what, what's wrong, if you will, and yeah. how we can fix it. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it was interesting to hear you talk about interactivity, inviting someone into your space um, with things like iPads, with things like, you know, some kind of digital device that you can actually engage a customer in? Are, are those ideas that your company's been playing with or you've been seeing on the market lately? 
I've seen some of the interactive menus available uh, where where there's somewhat of either a presentation or, or it's it's basically operating some type of website or, or flash project or something on the on the screen so that customers can learn more, see where their product is coming from. Um, it's not something we specifically do a lot with. We've done a little bit of work in the past developing a, a, a one of those types of menus. But yeah. it's not, that's not really where we shine. We're more in hands-on on the product. Well, I mean, I think I was asking that in a funny way because I already knew the answer. Uh, because you were saying flat planes. And that itself is just another flat plane. So yeah. it doesn't feel like you're really getting the visual bang for your buck that you can with a display. In it. I will say this. We see some of our clients have invested probably millions of dollars in, you know, four-foot digital flat-screen menus, and we just don't feel they're using them to the potential. I mean, it's it's a moving screen that could have lights, camera, action to it. And, yeah. And a lot of times it's just a simple, like, PowerPoint-like, non-moving, static display of the menu that is really not even taking advantage of the technology. And I think, honestly, one of the best... One of the best retailers using digital displays that i've seen is mcdonald's yeah i mean they're moving things in and out and zooming in on products and from our perspective as restaurant operation consultants in our core business you better believe that that item that they're selling up there is a high profit margin item that's just flashing before your eyes and moving in and out on so yeah no it's 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 not that we necessarily agree that mcdonald's is you know a. uh the only let me yeah. let me let me stop by saying this. Yeah. The only reason that I was there was because <laughs> my son uses the play place, and if yeah. we buy anything, it's a it's an iced tea, yeah. so that we can just feel like <laughs> okay that we're in the building. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I didn't need you to quantify that because uh, I I look towards other companies like that too to see what they're doing as far as photography goes, um, or even concepts of food because sometimes it's a, it's something as simple as a concept that you can sit there and recreate for your sure, own business. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I'm simply, it was a great model for, yeah, yeah. What, for what everyone else can be doing. But, but that people shouldn't not look at these things just because they're in a company and in a right. city like that. Right, So, I mean, and they're obviously doing pretty well, I guess, as a company. <laughs> so, it's not a bad thing to look at. Um, are there trends happening right now that we should be looking forward to um, in the food industry as far as merchandising goes? Hmm. Well, one of the one of the things that that we're finding right now is that we're doing a, a, a the webinar I mentioned is is on some some dangerous trends, and oh, yeah. we're we're finding that I love ending a show with danger. So yeah, yeah, we just figured we'd scare people into yeah. showing up online, right? So one of one of the things that that we've really been able to focus on is that people don't know their numbers in the in the restaurant business in many in many cases, and one of the ways that we're visually helping them is to help them re-engineer their menus. And uh, people uh, psychologically end up in certain places on the menu and, and tend to order from them. And so we help uh, restaurants improve their profitability by really looking at their menus and repositioning those high-gross profit items in the right place so that we can drive sales to menu items that are going to help a restaurant be sustainable. And our work isn't to help people be greedy, but you know, when, when 9 out of 10 restaurants fail in a year or so, we're helping them be sustainable over time and and so many people uh pour their life savings and their passion into something that that you know is a form of art for them and we're helping them stay in business 
on the on the on the number side of it through the way that they present their offering to the general public. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's the same heart that you had as a little farm boy in you know, upstate New York. It's no different. Yeah. Um, it's helping these businesses survive and realize their potential. Yeah, and it, we just see so many, you know, direct farm marketers and restaurateurs and, and retailers who who love what they do, and we just want to help them continue to be successful in doing it. And and really, you know, I just I just finished reading a book called The E Myth, and it's it's uh, the reasons why small businesses fail. And so many times that that passionate artist, that passionate baker, that passionate chef is can do what they do so well but when it comes to the business aspect of of running a business it is a completely different thing to run a restaurant than to be a chef yeah and so we help them or to be a designer or to be to be able to present their product they may have the most wonderful tasting product in the world but unless they can communicate that and and uh persuade someone to open that that wallet uh that's that's what they need to do and what we're helping them with nationalrestaurantsconsultants.com merchandisefood.com and where can people maybe see this webinar or is that client only uh we'll probably have it posted on our website soon yeah it's uh it's something that i think will be will feature in uh at least three or four major uh tips and strategies one of which we mentioned today and also uh give them an idea to some of the the things that uh, we find the greatest opportunity and what we're doing is, is finding the opportunities that people might not even see right in front of their faces <laughs> for additional profitability. Angle and impact, retail detail, eye thigh. Thank you for all this, Jonathan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure having you on. You've been listening to the food scene on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back next year, Tuesday at three. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 